You're listening to the Helpful NPCs podcast. We offer ideas to make your tabletop role-playing games even better. The Helpful NPCs podcast is not safe for work. Our immaturity is matched only by our vulgarity. You can check us out at helpfulnpcs.com or contact us at info at helpfulnpcs.com. Welcome to Chapter 2 of the Helpful NPCs podcast, What Should I Play? In the first part of Chapter 2, we're going to talk about the races that are available for your character to play. Then we're going to talk a little bit about background. In the second part of Chapter 2, we're going to talk about the core four character classes that we think the game is built around. And then in Part 3 of Chapter 2, we're going to talk about the other guys, the other classes that you can play. Welcome to Chapter 2 of the Helpful NPCs podcast, What Should I Play? In the first part of Chapter 2, we're going to talk about the races that are available for your character to play. Then we're going to talk a little bit about background. In the second part of Chapter 2, we're going to talk about the core four character classes that we think the game is built around. And then in Chapter 3, or Part 3 of... And then in part three of chapter two, we're going to talk about the other guys, the other classes that you can play. So to start episode one off as an introduction, we're going to discuss the concept of fantastical racism. This is actually something that has been very controversial in the gaming community recently, and it's the idea of whether it's okay for a race to be inherently smarter than another race, and more importantly, whether it's okay for a race to be inherently dumber than other races, or for a race to be inherently savage or evil, evil-leaning. So the reason that this has become such a controversy lately, the idea of races being dumber or evil, is that D&D has its roots in a lot of very imperialist, colonialist fantasy. And that's neither good or bad, it just is. A lot of the initial premises of the game were that you were men bringing civilization and order to these sort of crazy, wild, untamed lands. And that is a lot of how colonists viewed themselves back in the day. Because of that sort of imperialist fantasy, a lot of the language that is used to describe antagonistic species in these games is very similar to the language that people have used over the years to describe indigenous peoples or peoples of color. Um, A perfect example would be the word savage. So because that language is very similar to racist language of the past, a lot of people have decided those races are effectively a stand-in for people of color or indigenous peoples. And so they've decided that to have those things in your game and call them evil-leaning or give them a lower intelligence score than elves, for example, is inherently making a racist statement about another ethnicity of people. You're welcome to do whatever you want in your own game if you want to get rid of the idea that a race can be inherently smarter or dumber. It's totally up to you. That's not a viewpoint that we have at Helpful NPCs. 
Big reason for that is, number one, we just don't view non-human races as a stand-in for any human ethnicity that exists. Um, Just because somebody on the internet says it doesn't mean it's true. If you hear the word savage and you look at an orc or a goblin and you decide, hey, that's an African-American or a Native American, that is 100% on you that you've you've chosen to make that interpretation. You really are projecting that. It, it kind of reminds me of some of the criticisms of D&D from the past of being like, oh, you start playing this game and you won't be able to distinguish fantasy from reality <laughs> when... For 99.9% of people who play d d it's very easy to distinguish between fantasy and reality. <laughs> it's fair. But when it comes to, like, the issues of, um, like Ryan's been talking about with races, somehow that goes out the window and then everybody thinks that, oh, an orc must be referring to uh, a, a black person. It's like, it's like no. No, of course not. This is a not. fantasy. It has Absolutely nothing to do with not. real world politics or religions or races. And not only that, there are black people in Dungeons and Dragons and there can be indigenous peoples in Dungeons and Dragons alongside the orcs and the goblins. So in fact, those are just different things. You're yeah, those people are projecting that. And to add to that games also need antagonists. And so it's very easy to quickly go, ah, yes, there are orcs who are basically pig Neanderthals uh, and they're evil cave people. Uh, They're, they lean evil. Like, Not every species is going to be well thought out because I have a limited amount of time to develop the four hour game I'm running on a Friday afternoon. So sometimes those traits are just they're lazy, but they're shorthand for a set of things that you want your antagonists to have. So all of that being said, we want to talk about actually playing the races that exist in Dungeons and Dragons. So the first thing we'd say, and this is something Tom wants to talk about, is your race is not just a stat block. I cannot stand when people just pick the optimal race that has the best stats for something or some weird combination of powers that they have. No, pick the race that you want to play because it sounds interesting. For me, I love halflings and I love orcs, and those are my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. A race we should note that, especially in D&D, uh, there is a very much implied setting. So a race comes with traits and personality aspects baked into it. Uh, so when you pick a race, you do need to think about how that functions within the game um, and how you're going to role play that part particular race and it should be noted the mechanical advantages gained by a race are actually usually pretty minor so much better to play a elf warrior that is interesting because he's an elf than to play an orc warrior so you can get more strength or more constitution or something like that Mm -hmm. so speaking of those let's kind of delve into what you can play uh the first thing is Humans, of course, because what game wouldn't allow you to play a human? So, Tom, talk a little bit about how you feel about playing a human. While I adore both halflings and orcs, as mentioned already, I personally believe, and I believe that Ryan shares my opinion also, that the majority of the game should be comprised of people. I should say humans. Mm -hmm. It should be an anthropocentric game. 
It was designed to be that way from the earliest editions where it was expected that you might have one elf or one dwarf in a much larger group of average human fighting men. And I do think it's important uh, because in an anthropocentric game, there's a lot more grounding in our psyches Mm -hmm. in the way that we understand the game because... We're all people, so we know what it's like to be human. We have the quote-unquote human experience in the same way that when you play a Star Wars game, if you throw that out there, people are going to know what you're talking about. There's going to be an evil empire. There's going to be Jedi. There's going to be force powers and stuff. Mm -hmm. The anthropocentric game does that similarly, just more subtly. We have expectations about the world because we know what the world is like that's populated by humans. I think that your Star Wars example is perfect because if you look at all of the Star Wars movies and most, I would say, of the other extraneous Star Wars books and TV shows, most of the time the characters are human. Mm-hmm. The big, the big important actors in the story are human. And that's and- done for a reason. And we're not arguing don't play humans, but the game generally is designed to be human centered and you can do so much with a human by giving them different ethnicities or different regions or different backgrounds. Like a human is not the same as a human, just like we're not all the same in real life. Exactly. Skyrim is a game that does an excellent job with its various human ethnicities. You could totally do away with the Khajiit and Argonians and the other races and still be left with a very fine developed setting their way. But Khajiit has wares if you have going. Yeah, how many Mm -hmm. memes can you make off of humans, dear? Well, it depends on how many arrows you take to the knee. Oh, snap. Ooh, really dating ourselves with that one. Yeah, we are. We were here in 2011. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I should also note that as part of role-playing as a human... It's easier to empathize with human characters and weird races being having different psychological and cultural profiles that are alien to our own. Well, you end up with weird things that you can't really role play effectively, or at least it would take an extremely talented role player if we're trying to portray it realistically. So example here, let's say you're playing a vampire. How do you role play that character's morality properly where humans are food and physically inferior and your existence is basically anathema to every single dominant religion? Now let's go go into D&D where it gets even weirder than that, where you're not playing Kate Beckinsdale as a sexy vampiress. Uh, let's say you're playing uh, an illithid. It's a tentacled, mind-raping brain-eater who uses humans and other sentient races as fodder. How are you going to roleplay that properly? It's just going to end up silly. Which what? Imma- So part of gaming is sort of imagining what it would be like or what an illithid might be like or what a minotaur might be like. So it's okay to an extent. It just gets wacky sometimes when no one wants to play a human. Yeah, and I'll be honest, once you start throwing in a bunch of weird races, everything turns into a carnival sideshow with your party. Mm. Remember that a big part of Dungeons and Dragons or a big part of the genres that inspire Dungeons and Dragons is the idea that you start from normal 
And that lets the story and the setting or the storyteller ramp up the weirdness. So for example, Alice in Wonderland, finding a talking rabbit is only interesting because she's a normal girl. If you make Alice in Wonderland a talking squirrel, it's not interesting. You need to have that space to ramp it up and get weirder than the player characters are. Another example is The Hobbit, even though they were not human, they were all still a relatively humanoid band of villagers. And so it was exciting when they met elves, and it was exciting when they met dwarves, and it was exciting when they met, you know, skipping, prancing uh, giants in the woods. Ho, Tom Bombadil. <sighs> hey, ho, Amario. Yep. So, other than humans, speaking of uh, Lord of the Rings... Let's go into some of the other things that you can play and sort of what our thoughts are on them. Now, Jacob, uh, we have divided the races up into humans, Tolkien races, which was really all you could play in early editions of Dungeons and Dragons, and the weird shit you can play today. So, Jake, you are the big Tolkien fan. Tell me a little bit about the Tolkien races that you can play. We are, of course, referring to J.R.R. Tolkien, writer of The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, so it should come as no surprise um, to anyone that D&D is heavily Tolkien-influenced. Um, and the most important, I would say, besides human, uh, Tolkien race is elves. And a lot of our conception of what an elf is comes from Tolkien. Um, they're generally regarded as nature-loving. They're pretty peaceful. They are agile skilled because they live for hundreds of years so they have time to basically perfect everything they do so they're beautiful and elegant and yes. and basically perfect humans so some of their flaws are they are aloof proud arrogant and they can pursue a passion beyond what is reasonable and it should be said uh i don't know that it's such a part of the hobby today because everybody plays weird shit but in my day elf wank was a big deal i uh grew up with lord of the rings and everybody thought elves were amazing and wanted to be elves and there were 300 different sub races of elves and it's kind of funny how the culture has shifted a little bit away from that and a little more toward the weird you know, stuff the weird shit yeah yeah so the next uh kind of important uh tolkien race is dwarves um so dwarves are generally uh very hardy people resilient uh, they have a lot of strength and uh, toughness, considering they're born from the earth. Mm -hmm. um, they are fun-loving. A lot of uh, gregarious would be a good word yeah, to describe a lot of most dwarves. Drinking. Yep, drinking, partying. Another thing is they're skilled with crafts, mm -hmm. especially things like stonework and blacksmithing. But crafts in general, um, dwarves are generally considered to be good at. Yeah. Some of their flaws are that they're very greedy for gold and treasure. Um, they can be vain and they can also be very, uh, xenophobic yeah. uh, for other, other species, other races. So because they're less wanky and less perfect, I would argue a dwarf is a little more fun to play. Actually, I always have fun playing dwarves cause you can be really sort of vengeful and boisterous at the same time. And I don't know, it's, it's almost a little more fun to play something flawed like a dwarf. What do you think about dwarves, Tom, considering they're one of your favorites? I do like dwarves quite a bit. Just sometimes people need to move away from the ale-swilling Scottish accent dwarf. It's a little bit done. Fuck 
you. Mm-hmm. I will play an ale-swilling Scottish accent dwarf until I'm dead. The next Tolkien-esque race, um, and probably the most well-known, uh, would be the Hobbit. Mm-hmm. I mean, Halfling. Hobbit. <laughs> Hobbit is copyrighted. You can't use it. Officially, the Dungeons & Dragons species is Halfling, and... Uh, any uh, similarity to any other races from any other books are uh, clearly coincidental. Yes, the halfling is generally regarded as um, cheerful people. They like the simple life. Generally, they are not super adventurous, which makes a halfling adventure that much more unique mm-hmm. as to why is this small individual left home and yeah. gone adventuring if you want to see halflings i mean lord of the rings go go see those movies read yeah. those books they're just great like they inspire everyone that's basically what you need to do to understand how to play a halfling yeah <laughs> um no, they're generally play- pretty nimble so they play rogues a lot a lot of people like to play halfling rogues or halfling mm-hmm. Uh, sorcerers, that kind of stuff. Back in the day, they wanted to play halfling. Now they want to play a half bird person, cat person with horns. Yes. It should also be noted that halflings are very much provincial in Tolkien. There's your country bumpkins, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're basically stand-ins for Englishmen. So yes. Uh, some of the flaws of halflings, and there are a few, although they're not as probably explored in uh, Lord of the Rings as much as the other races. The halflings are pretty naive a lot of the time because of their uh, simplistic life. They kind of assume the best of people and get taken advantage of it, uh, get taken advantage of because of that. They're so they, a simple folk. Yeah, they fail to see the larger implications of world events oftentimes or their own actions even. Fair enough. The final Tolkien race is a little bit harder to explain than the others. Well, note that the race isn't actually playable, just the half version of that race. Yes, we are talking about orcs slash half orcs. Mm. Because orcs are too unplayable, but a half orc is just playable enough. So, Jacob... Can you explain why it is that a half-orc would be in a society, but an orc wouldn't? Because I feel like there's an implication there. Well, when a female orc finds male human, like, very much. Nope, that's not what happens. (laughs) So, yeah, half-orcs have been in the game for uh, quite a while. I don't know exactly when they entered. I know they were in the third edition in 3.5. I don't know if they were there before that. They were definitely there before that, but I couldn't Um, tell you when they started. So the implication was, and it was never expressly stated, but it was implied that half-orcs were the product of rape. Yeah. Like, there's no way around it. That's what is implied. And it's still kind of weird, actually, that they've still kept that in there because D&D has been made a lot more, like, family-friendly. But they still have half-orcs in there, but not orcs, which I think tells you a lot. The reason it comes from Tolkien is... The concept of the orc was a corrupted elf. Yeah, they're basically like an evil mirror of elves. And so where elves are very beautiful and elegant, the orcs are very brutish and gross. Yeah. Though in modern D&D, I want to say they've moved more towards a... Warcraft. Yeah, Warcraft, noble, savage kind of archetype for orcs. Careful, that's a loaded word today. In modern D&D... 
there's not much difference between orcs and hobgoblins, honestly. I don't know, because it used to be that they were an antagonistic race, and then they got popular with World of Warcraft. And note, they started in Warcraft as just being monstrous, and then they decided they weren't demonic to start with. In fact, they used to be these uh, peace-loving, earth-loving shaman before the warlocks corrupted them. I don't know. They really kind of ruined orcs, actually. Orcs and half-orcs are not my favorite thing as a playable race. It's okay, but... Wrong. Good conversation. (laughs) Well, you really zinged him, Tom. Yes. My entire opinion has changed. (laughs) Okay. So we have a handful of races that we're going to call the weird stuff. We do the weird stuff. Yep. First, the dragonborn. (sighs) So... If you like Dragonborn, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Tune out now. They suck. Uh, Dragonborn were a race that initially showed up in third edition Dungeons and Dragons as an option that your uh, character could sort of like mutate from whatever you were initially into these weird dragon people. I forget which book it was in. Really? I, Complete I, Draconic, I'm almost certain. Draconomicon. Hmm. Uh, that's what I, I knew saying. there was half dragons. Mm-mm, no, came in third edition. Interesting. People wanted a dragon race that had no level adjustment. Yes. Mm-hmm. I specifically remember when it came out because I was like, this is fucking stupid. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm sorry. First of all, there already are dragon people in Dungeons and Dragons. There are cobbles, but most specifically, I personally find Dragonborn to be really over the top. You know, if you really love them in your game and you want to play them, go play them. Uh, It's a seven foot tall dragon person. Like, how do you, you know, we talked about this in our human section. How do you ramp up the weirdness when you start as a seven foot tall dragon person? Like, what is exciting about seeing an elf for the first time or seeing a band of orcs for the first time or seeing a monster for the first time when you've already had a monster hanging out with you from the beginning. Next thing I would talk about is tieflings. So tieflings have kind of an interesting history in Dungeons and Dragons. They initially showed up in the Planescape setting, which is like a plane hopping game where you're sort of jumping between these different weird planes of reality And the initial tieflings were just people that had something else mixed into their DNA. And then in the uh, third edition of D&D, they just sort of became demonic. But they were sort of they always had minor features like weird colored eyes or small horns. And in this current iteration, they're they're basically Hellboy. They're garbage. They're Hellboy. They look stupid. They do look stupid. I like, I used to really like tieflings, the more subtle tieflings. And the problem is they were really popular. So they made them an option for everybody. But then half the players you see now are tieflings. And a good number of the background characters are tieflings. So even though they say in the text, like, oh, these are rare, the implied setting is they're just a ton of demon people just hanging out on this on this planet and it's it's almost like um because i mentioned this before we started recording Baldur's gate 3 pretty early on in the game you get in there and there's a whole community of tieflings that's too much they have their own like cities and cultures and i'm like this is supposed to be super rare and not something you were supposed to be proud of either 
Like, your mom or your dad fucked a demon. Well, not necessarily. You had it somewhere in your lineage, but I know what you mean. You know what I mean, though. And it wasn't like a point of pride. It was something that was almost uh, something you wanted to keep a secret as much as possible. Yeah, now it's in the text. You're just a tiefling, and they're all over, and they look like fucking Hellboy. Uh, I, I don't mind the race, but I don't know that they should be core, and I think they're overplayed. Next is gnomes. I like gnomes. Tom does not like gnomes. Gnomes are not halflings. They're a little redundant. They are not redundant. So how are they not redundant, Ryan? Gnomes are a small, basically fairy type folk uh, that wander about the woods. So in many ways, they're the opposite of halflings. The halflings are these pastoral homebodies and they don't go out and do things. Gnomes to me are the sort of odd idiosyncratic fey folk almost that go about and they have the ability to talk to animals and so they you know have these little adventures i grew up with david the gnome guys you guys are not going to convince me gnomes should not be a playable they they also give you great deals on travel and hotels (laughs) oh god no no so why do you hate gnomes dear I hate the World of Warcraft exploding toaster gnomes. I think it is the dumbest thing where they're all inventors and their crazy, wacky shenanigans always lead to their inventions exploding or going wrong. Right, no. that's fun. No, it's not fun. It's stupid in it's, a setting like d and I actually like fun. that better than the D&D gnomes. I like gnomes. Nobody's going to convince me they're bad. Uh, last race we've got is Drow, which technically are a sub-race of elves, but I'm kind of calling them out on their own because I don't really consider them to be elves. <sighs> so, Drow used to be the femdom race. Jacob even put a note in there. Uh, let's let's talk about the origins of Drow. Drow were evil underground elves that are ruled by these weird demon-fucking priestesses. It's completely what they are in D&D. They totally always look S&M and fetishy. And I know they've regularly beat the men. Yeah, they've tried to sort of sanitize that in the most recent editions. So it used to be Drow were totally an antagonistic race. And then. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's a prime example of what we were talking about earlier. Like they used to be an evil race, like 99% of Drow evil, which made characters like Drizzt Ordin. And Zach interesting, Nathane, interesting, quote unquote, interesting. No, in the early okay. books. They, he yeah. was good in the early books. The I don't idea, know about the later ones, yeah, yeah. The idea of a good drow was an interesting idea once upon a time. Now, drow are a PC race that are very, very common, and they've kind of taken the mystery out of the evil, you know, femdom ball stepping drow, spider worshiping. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. We should also notice they fuck demons and worship spiders. So. That's enough to be said about the D&D races. Obviously, if you don't value our opinions, that's totally fine. We just kind of wanted to do a discussion of them. But we're going to move on from that and talk about backgrounds. One of our favorite elements of the current iteration of Dungeons and Dragons. Yep, I adore backgrounds. They're probably one of my favorite additions to 5th edition D&D. And just to give you the basics of backgrounds, they all come with a set of proficiency skill and tool um you get some items along with them and you get a role-playing benefit for instance the entertainer gets free food and lodging where it wherever it stays 
And your character gains a reputation as being a good entertainer, so people generally look upon him favorably. So what is it that you like so much about backgrounds? To return to what I said earlier about that psyche grounding in the anthropocentric game, I think that's important for backgrounds also. Mm -hmm. Um, It gives them roots within the fictional world, and it forces players to think of their characters as something other than just adventurers. You, you're you're just an adventurer. Well, no, you have to think about why your character gave up his previous profession, essentially, to search out gold, glory, save the world on an epic quest, whatever your game's about. And that is the root of... I. So in general, disclaimer, I do like backgrounds. Okay. But that is the root of my problem with backgrounds. Okay. Is that... They are a starting point for your character. So if your character started out as an entertainer, why would you get free food and lodging unless you're regularly entertaining? Well, Jacob, also, that is the point you have to perform and then you get free food and lodging. But it, maybe it works for that one. But when it works, would it work for blacksmith? Like, are, are blacksmiths around the countryside you're traveling just going to let you use their shit? And do blacksmithing work while you're doing it? Uh, Disagree. Again, you are a guild artisan in 5th edition, which means you have connections to a wide-ranging network of fellow artisans, including other blacksmiths. Is that true? Check and mate, bitch. (laughs) Okay. No, I see your point, Jake. No, no, it it does make sense, but yeah. Yeah, like if you're making an average of like 20 times the standard wage per day that your average whatever you used to be is making why would you ever go back and do that thing oh i see what you're saying do you see what i mean i do like free food and lodging you can just fucking pay for your food and lodging it's it's like one tenth of one tenth of the money you made last adventure well and that is part of where players get too cheap with their role playing so you do have things like oh i can sing and dance i'm like i'm not fucking singing and dancing i'm fucking rich as right. shit oh, you gain a reputation as an entertainer i gained a reputation because i just literally slaughtered a temple full of undead five miles from here i mean you're not wrong but you're free to ignore you're free to ignore that. You don't have to be singing and dancing for your coin. I'm picturing a showgirl who became a fighter. <laughs> you don't have to dance no more, Lola. <laughs> you killed that dragon. You don't have to dance. But the dancing's in my blood. <laughs> it should also be noted, and Ryan had a specific thought on this, uh, which I agree with. Don't pick a background that fits too cleanly with your class. It's so boring. Yeah. I'm a soldier who became a fighter. Yeah, so is everyone else. Or a criminal who became a rogue is perhaps my least favorite. Yeah, like, okay, you're already a criminal. You're a rogue. And when you pick something that's not on the nose, we're not going to go into all the specific backgrounds. There's so much variety there. But when you pick something that's not on the nose, you give yourself such an ability to role play more. So... If you're a cleric who was a cloistered cleric your entire life, you're not really adding a lot to your character. But if your cleric was a fisherman's daughter, then perhaps you have special skills related to fish or you could even use uh, fisherman sort of analogies or metaphors when you are discussing things in the dungeon. Like it just adds a layer to your character that's not going to be present if you pick things that are a little too on the nose. 
This has been part one of chapter two. If you're interested in hearing us talk about the four core classes, go ahead and head over to part two. And if you're interested in hearing about the variety of other classes that are available in Dungeons and Dragons, you can head over to part three. Thank you for listening to the Helpful NPCs podcast. For more content, check us out at HelpfulNPCs.com. If you have any feedback or requests for topics, you can reach us at info at helpfulnpcs.com. 